Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Conversations on Care, a Facebook talk show bringing together service providers, clients, and caregivers to help families better understand and cope with aging parents with chronic care needs. My name is Julie Collada, and I'm the founder and president of Open Arms Solutions, a senior care agency serving the Chicagoland area, specializing in inspired holistic dementia care. It's our mission to help you through the journey and to know that your loved one is living their best life possible. If you find these dialogues helpful, please do give us a like and a share so that others that need this information can see it. If you have questions or topics you'd like to learn more about, also please do write them in our comments below. We, we love to get suggestions on topics. So today's topic, I've been so excited for this topic for a long, long time and, and our guest today. Um, our topic is, is such a crucial one. Uh, those of us that are in senior care know so, all too well is protecting our seniors from financial abuse. And with me today is Carrie Peck, the managing partner at Peck Ricci LLC. And I am really proud to read this bio. It's, it's, a, it's quite a bi biography. Um, Carrie is the managing partner of the Chicago law firm of Peck and Ritchie, as I said. He is the past president of the 22,000 Lawyer Chicago Bar Association. His clients uh, include families, hospitals, banks, the state of Illinois, County of Cook, and the city of Chicago. For over 15 consecutive years, he's been selected by his peers in statewide surveys of Illinois attorneys as the super lawyer, an attorney to whom other lawyers would refer their family. And he has was named a member of the Leading Lawyers Network. Mr. Peck is the recipient of the 2014 Justice John Paul Stevens Award, the Chicago Bar Association's highest honor, he was also selected by IIT Chicago Kent College of Law as one of their 125 alumni of distinction. Uh, Mr. Peck was retained by the City of Chicago Department of Aging to rewrite the State of Illinois Elder Abuse and Neglect Act. Mr. Peck is the co-author of Alzheimer's and the Law and Don't Let Dementia Steal Everything, both published by the American Bar Association. Mr. Peck has written articles for the Chicago Daily Law Bulletin, Chicago Bar Association Record, Illinois State Bar Journal, and various other journals and newspapers. He teaches attorneys and healthcare professionals across the country and is a former adjunct professor at John Marshall Law School Elder Law Studies programs where he's taught a guardianship course. Wow. So I've Good been morning, Julie. Thanks very much for the kind introduction and thank you for having me. It is our pleasure. And, um, you know, I've been in this industry now going on my 14th year, Carrie. I've heard you talk. You are, I've, I've heard you and I've had a chance to sit down and over lunch and talk about various topics in this industry. And, uh, and I can't think of anyone I would rather have as a, as a guest to talk about this topic. Um, 
so excited to have you. And I know that there's a lot of people listening in and, and are excited to learn more about this topic. Thank you for all the fine work you and your agency do for the community and for folks and families that uh, have a loved one afflicted with dementia. Thank you. I really appreciate that. That means a lot to me. We're all very passionate about caring for people and uh, allowing them to live their best lives possible. And part of that is protecting them. Right. Because as you and I both know, um, our seniors in general are incredibly vulnerable, especially those that are living alone, especially those that don't have family members in the near in the area. And then compound that, you think about seniors that have dementia. It's just they're just incredibly, you know, vulnerable to all sorts of prey. And we've got to be very vigilant in in protecting them. Agreed. So, Julie, you know, the, the problem is that the the epidemic of financial exploitation of older adults has really been lost by the COVID-19 pandemic. And uh, it's unfortunate to report that the financial exploitation of older adults is just rampant. And it comes in a variety of different forms. It often comes with, with loving family members who believe they're entitled to mom or dad's uh, money. Mm -hmm. uh, those loving family members may or may not have a drug addiction, a gambling addiction, or some uh, mental health issue that causes them to exploit their, their family. But this exploitation also comes from, from caregivers from time to time, comes from strangers. Uh, today, there's a whole industry of uh, romantic love scams on the internet that prey very heavily on older adults. And when an older adult is afflicted with some type of cognitive impairment, whether that's Alzheimer's disease, vascular dementia, or some form of dementia that may be a result of Parkinson's or Lewy body disease, something of that nature, older adults are just susceptible in a tremendous way, cognitive impairment, older adults not, uh, you know, cautiously taken care of by their family uh, and or their loved ones are, are absolutely exploited every single day in a stunning, stunning number of cases. I would, uh, I would, you know, I know I'm stunned by just my exposure and what I see and know every day in this industry and hear about from my peers um, and hear about from Illinois Department of Public Health um, and the folks that, you know, are charged with licensing companies like mine. Um, can you, can you share with us some of the more common scenarios you see regarding financial explo exploitation of seniors? Yes, uh, we are seeing a, uh, a very large increase and have really for a number of years of younger women preying on older men. And uh, sometimes again, that comes in the context of a caregiver who has a patient and she's with this man 24 seven. And the, the uh, patient, the gentleman becomes dependent upon the woman. And uh, regrettably, these scenarios often take on what, <clears throat> at least from the outside, is viewed as a romantic relationship. Uh, 
And that romance generally leads to the older adult losing money. Uh, and it's basically along the lines of sign here, uh, which is an amendment to the gentleman's trust, or sign here, which mm -hmm. is a new will, or sign here, which is a deed to the house. Now, this type of, of exploitation uh, may come in a different form outside the caregiving uh, setting. And that is that we're seeing a, a, a really an organized ring of women that are meeting older men uh, at places we used to consider safe, the church, synagogues, senior centers. Mm. And, uh, you know, I can give you an example. I was involved in a, in a very, uh, you know, traumatic and ugly case in which a woman met a gentleman who had recently lost his wife at church. He went to church every Sunday. The third Sunday after his wife passed away, when he sat down in the pew, sitting next to him was a very attractive woman, roughly 30 years younger. And I call it love at first sight of his wallet mm -hmm. because she was all about how much money he had and feigned romance and, and flat out uh, engaged in intimate conduct with this gentleman in an overnight fashion, moved into his house, refused to leave. And of course, he was overwhelmed with the attention. He had recently lost his wife. He wanted a companion. He wanted a lover. And uh, the reality is that we needed to file for guardianship to determine if this individual had the mental capacity to make his own decisions. We had him assessed by a board certified psychiatrist who concluded that he wasn't able as a result of, of uh, probably depression, able to make these types of decisions. And we successfully had an emergency guardian appointed for him, froze his assets so that he can use that money for his health care while she tried to steal it. And, uh, and that's a good outcome. Regrettably, in some of these cases, we find that, uh, you know, the gentleman writes a check, six-figure check, to the, to the new love of his life, and she's on the next plane uh, out of O'Hare back to uh, often Eastern Europe. So these are tragedy cases that are occurring every single day, and we need to be aware of how to avoid them, how to protect our older adults. And the reality is we need to make sure that we keep in contact with our older adult loved ones. We need to make sure whether they're institutionalized, whether they're living at home, whether they're, they're uh, you know, still perhaps in the workforce, that we're in touch and we know what's going on in their lives. And believe it or not, you know, if we see something unusual, we better jump on it because usually people's instincts about a caregiver or about a stranger uh, or you know someone that's already to be a new best friend in the first three days of that individual's relationship, that's a problem. And we need to be aware that these problems hit everybody from the highest level of affluence and education all the way down the line. They're really preying on um, 
you know, this example is just someone who's grieving, lonely, you know, still in the grieving process, sounds like this particular, um, and just really, really, um, you know, looking for some companionship. That's really, it's, and, and you know, it's, it's just, it is pretty remarkable. And I'm sure you see the, the, the real dark side of people that most of us don't see. It's, um, that's really concerning. So what can people do other than, so I, I hear you say keeping, so I'm, I'm an adult, I'm an adult child and I don't know in this particular example um, if this gentleman had children, adult children, but what kind he did. Okay. So how frightening for them uh, in different ways. So how, what can a family do proactively in addition to staying in touch? Well, um, I think it's a great question, Julian. And the answer is plan. Advanced planning is the way to avoid some of these problems. It doesn't guarantee the elimination of the problem, but plan. Do basic estate planning. In Illinois, we have, you know, two types of power of attorney documents, a durable power of attorney for health care and a durable power of attorney for property. And the concept there is an agency concept. And that means that if I carry pack name you, Julie, to be my agent to make decisions when I can't make decisions for myself, then I've got a, a mechanism. I've got a plan in place that should I, uh, you know, have a, a form of dementia that strikes suddenly, or should I have Alzheimer's disease and the progression in a downward descent moves along quickly, I have already planned for the contingency that I might not be able to make decisions. And this is critically important, you know, and, and in Illinois, both of those documents are effective after I lose the capacity to make my own decisions. That's a critical underlying principle of these documents. That's why we have them. That's why we use them. And so when I name you, Julie, to make my healthcare decisions, or I name you, Julie, to make my management of my assets, the durable power of attorney for property, property is a generic term, mm -hmm. and it doesn't mean just real estate. It mm -hmm. means cash, stocks, bonds, everything in the terms of what a property uh, asset would be. Mm -hmm. You can make those decisions should I stroke out. Should I have a car accident and I'm taken to the local hospital unconscious and they want authority to perform a serious surgical procedure? Okay. With this, this has real life daily implications uh, and is a very clear path to avoiding problems. Uh, in the scenario I just gave you, the hypothetical, which was reality with this woman, excuse me, with this man. Had he had these advanced directives, power of attorney for property, power of attorney for health care, we could have avoided the necessity of rushing into the courtroom and asking that he be adjudicated a disabled person because of his inability to make decisions. Why? Because he would have named someone while he was competent to do that. And that's critical, important, important, critically important underlying feature. 
I need to be competent when I sign these documents. If I lose my mental capacity and my cognitive abilities as a result of an Alzheimer's diagnosis, and you know, regrettably, we know Alzheimer's is a progressive disease. It is not going to get better. Every person responds differently in terms of the timeline. Some people, it's a slow progression downward. Some people, it's a very fast progression downward, but it's never upward. And so if I'm competent and if I choose loved ones or trusted people to make decisions for me, I can avoid what I call the lifetime probate, a guardianship, a court determination as to whether or not this individual has the ability to make financial decisions and or healthcare decisions. Well, let's and talk they- a little bit more about that. Excuse me. I just want to make sure everyone understands that because it's so important. Because I know that we'll come in, and this happens way too often, um, where we'll do an assessment of a, an individual and, and you know, they'll have their, their family members there. And then we'll go through the assessment of the individual because at that point in their life, something has happened and they want to stay at home, but they need a caregiver. They need support at home. So when we do the assessment, part of what we ask is, um, you know, who, who, is, who has the durable medical, financial and medical power of attorney? Too often than not, we hear we were going to get to that. We haven't yet. And we're dealing with someone already who has some cognitive loss. So what do you advise people to do in that scenario? Because you brought up guardianship and that's, you know, what do you see when you, when a family comes to you and says, okay, I need you to do a POA or help us, help us set this up. Uh, and you talk to the family and you really discover that their loved one already has some cognitive decline. What are the next steps there? Well, it's a great question. And, and of course, the answer is how significant is that cognitive decline? Um, I wrote an article for the Alzheimer's Association uh, magazine a number of years ago. And uh, in large measure, it's what comes next after the, the Alzheimer's diagnosis. In many instances, certainly not all instances, but in many instances, after a diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease, if it's early in the disease, the individual may retain the cognitive ability to execute estate planning documents. And, and in large measure at that point, if uh, you know the circumstances you describe occur, the family member has a cognitive impairment, they haven't done any planning, we would call upon first their attending physician to determine if they had the mental capacity to sign documents. And if they do, then clearly we're going to try and get that done uh, as quickly as possible. Obviously, if they don't, then then we're uh, really in a, in a situation where we're likely to have to file for guardianship. But we would turn to their attending physician, ask for a written assessment of testamentary capacity. And uh, testamentary capacity applies generally to wills and trusts uh, and somewhat although most people apply a contractual capacity standard to the signing of powers of attorney. 
-hmm. In order to sign a will and an estate plan, uh, excuse me, a will and a trust, you need to know four things. You need to know, one, that you're signing a will. Two, you have to have the ability to form a plan in your mind, a very difficult thing to assess. Three, you need to know the nature and extent of your assets. And four, you need to know who your family is. The legal term is the natural objects of your bounty. So if the doctor says that you, Julie, have the capacity to meet those four elements, and that's straight out of the jury instructions under the uh, Probate Act, the reality is we can do those documents and get them done. But if we can't do those documents and the capacity of that individual has declined to the point that they're not able to sign and we need a decision maker, then we're quite likely to go into court and ask that uh, the closest loved one uh, be appointed guardian to make decisions in the medical and financial world for this older adult. So this is why I'm going back to planning is the key to the game. Advanced planning. It will save aggravation. It will save trauma. It will save emotional drain. And it will save expense because it's clearly easier and more cost effective to do documents than to go into court and litigate the necessity of a guardian in which the older adult or the cognitively impaired older adult, the features of the illness may cause them to fight hard against their family, their loving family who's trying to do the right thing, but the illness has caused that older adult or individual with Alzheimer's disease to say, I don't trust you, I don't want you, I don't need a guardian. All very common scenarios. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's so much to talk about, and unfortunately, we don't have enough time. Um, but it's, to think about, and I know there's a question that we will absolutely get to. Um, the from my, you know, you see you see different things from our vantage point in open arms, and what what we see in the in is, and I don't know if you can speak to this or not, but private caregivers in the home, where families decide they'll hire a private caregiver. And that private caregiver is not supervised by um, an agency like ours. Mm-hmm. And in fact, a private caregiver, because they're not supervised, if there is a theft, there isn't any kind of insurance. So if that private caregiver steals from that family, I don't know what your experience is and if you've had experiences with this, but what the what the result is for families, what the remedy is for families, the consequences for families. Because unfortunately, in our industry, we hear and we talk about it. I have an, an obvious bias. I'm part of the Home Care Association of America. And the Home Care Association of America, only um, the members have to be agencies like ours, where all our caregivers are our employees. And they're our responsibility and they're supervised and we're bonded and insured. But there's so many, I can't, you know, I can't even think about the numbers of private caregivers that are out there. What's your experience with that? Well, quite clearly, uh, my preference is that if an individual, you know, if the family's gonna bring a caregiver into the house, they should go to an agency like Open Arms. Um, the reality is you've laid out why you know, they're employees of yours, they're insured, you're bonded, 
and there's some uh, significant level of oversight. What we find often is that families are hiring private caregivers, perhaps off the internet, perhaps uh, with a, a reference from somebody in the neighborhood. And more often than not, they're doing it because they wanna pay cash to that caregiver. They don't wanna pay what amounts to the higher rate for the, the home health agency. But that higher rate brings protection that it doesn't exist when you hire someone off the street, so to speak, and you pay them cash. You shouldn't be paying them cash. There are significant tax consequences, uh, both for the payor, the family, as well as the recipient. Uh, and there is no recourse whatsoever if that caregiver steals money and disappears. You can call the police. But in most instances, that caregiver is long gone. In some instances, uh, we hear, you know, caregivers stealing jewelry on a kind of a long-term basis. So small pieces are missing over time. But the reality is that uh, there is no doubt families hiring caregivers should turn to agencies like yours uh, and and make sure that they're getting both a trained caregiver, that a criminal background check has been done, a significant, very important issue, and that you have, can provide adequate insurance in the unlikely event that, uh, you know, your caregiver abuses the process. And this is a very, very significant problem. Many, many people say, Carrie, it's cheaper to pay cash. It's cheaper not to use an agency. And that's what we're going to do. And at mm -hmm. the end of the day, uh, you know, it in many instances, it just doesn't work out. And it's just, it's heartbreaking to see. Because it's again, terrible. it's just a terrible um, to see. Again, you know, if you have the wrong person in the home with the senior <laughs> or anywhere, um, the, they're just so... Um, there's just no, they're vulnerable. And it's just, right. it's just, that's a really key, key thing. Absolutely true. Absolutely. So um, there's a viewer question that we should get to. And mm -hmm. that is what are, what are steps, uh, what steps are taken when an elderly person is being financially abused by their POA? Well, it's a great question, but of course the, the issue here is uh, what steps do you want to take? Uh, the power of attorney document for health care, again, I'm distinguishing, health care power of attorney can be revoked by uh, and the older adult in our question at any time without regard to legal capacity. That's completely different than the power of attorney for property, which requires that the older adult have legal capacity to uh, revoke it. The other remedy is that, of course, you can file a, a case uh, in the probate division, the Circuit Court of Cook County, and we're there, for, we're there every single day, uh, to remove that agent. So there is a statute, a law in the Illinois Probate Act, that can be uh, invoked to remove the agent for breach of their fiduciary duties, violating their responsibilities to that older adult. And... Uh, in that, in large measure, those are two remedies. The third, of course, is to remove the agent and seek the appointment of someone else as that older adult's guardian. 
uh, again, to manage their health care and the, and the asset management. So there definitely are uh, avenues to go. I think step one would also be consider calling the Adult Protective Services uh, Department in the area you live. In the northern suburbs in Cook County, that's the, the North Shore Senior Center. And ask to talk to the Adult Protective Services folks. They are uh, duly uh, inbound, duty bound, excuse me, to protect older adults. They work very closely as a part of the Illinois uh, Department of Aging. And they will send somebody out to investigate the circumstances of the potential abuse that you relate. So uh, that would be also a first step. Take a look at that. And there isn't any reason you can't dial 911 and call the local police and indicate this agent under the power of attorney is abusing the older adult in the house. Perhaps my father, my aunt, whatever that is. So there are a lot of remedies there. And don't and, and you know, don't forget that if I may, Julie, we at Peck Ritchie offer our potential clients the opportunity to call us and meet with us, initial consultation at no cost, and we will assess your situation. You'll have an opportunity to meet with us, and we'll be able to tell you what our proposed game plan would be and what the potential cost would be in conjunction with this initial free, no cost consultation. Yeah, and I urge people to take advantage of that because it's, you know, it's, there's so many people out there and I know, um, I think I've shared with you, Carrie, I got into, I'm not a nurse, I'm not a social worker. I was in the business world and then never imagined, you know, running a, a healthcare company, home care company. And I, I went through the journey with my mom who, who, you know, kind of suddenly, uh, suffered some uh, many strokes and was cognitively impaired. And um, anyway, it was before licensure and I was panicked to hire someone because I, she lived alone. But long story short, I thought I was hiring a company, but I ended up hiring a company that placed caregivers in people's homes. Caregivers stole from my mom and there was really no recourse or remedy. And we really didn't do a complete job and didn't have the counsel of an estate planning attorney, elder care attorney. We didn't really ask all those tough questions and get all that set up. And so we were in a really tough spot. And um, so that's why the advice, your advice is so important for people who are listening or loved ones of, of family members is to please, 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 please suggest that they have a conversation with, you know, Carrie's firm or firm like Carrie. I, I totally um, have so much respect and trust in Carrie's firm. So, and Sarah, I think Sarah, I think the information on how to contact Carrie and his team is at the bottom of this. So please reach out. Um, uh, you'll be really happy that you do that. That's how it's, it's the best way we can protect our seniors is by doing really good planning and understanding how to set things up when the unthinkable happens. And unfortunately, as you said, Carrie, the unthinkable happens every day. It does. And those of us in the industry know that all, 
all too well. So we're out of time. It's been a pleasure. Um, thank you so much for everything that you do um, for families, for individuals, and I hope I can have you back on someday. Absolutely. Thanks so much for the invite, Julie. Uh, thank you all for, for watching us today. And uh, if Julie or I can help you, please give us a call. And we look forward to uh, appearing again on the Open Arms Solutions Facebook Live program. Thank you very much, Carrie. Take good care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye now.